0: We are parents, we are doctors, we are first responders, teachers and concerned citizens who have found ourselves at a crossroads. We see our freedoms being stripped away and we can no longer stay silent. We are millions strong, united in a thundering voice and imperative mission that cannot and will not be ignored. We are standing up for the basic human right to raise our own children, earn a living, and make our own medical decisions without the tyrannical overreach that has been forced upon us here in California, across the country, and around the world. We are here to amplify the voices, moving the needle, bringing forth truth, and provide education and resources with tangible tools and expert insights. We are The Unity Project, and this is our podcast. Welcome everyone. I am so excited today to have with us Curtis Hill. He has uh, become someone that I have Got to know and have tremendous respect for. Um, he's someone that's been a, a really a strong voice in what's happening in this country, advocating for people that, that really don't have the ability to advocate for themselves. He's a former attorney general for the state of Indiana and a prosecutor. And again, just someone that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with him today. Um, Curtis, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Well, thank you, Laura, it's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, my name is Curtis Hill, as, uh, as you said, I'm the former attorney general for the state of Indiana, a position I held for uh, back in 2016. Um, enjoyed that a great deal. I was a former prosecuting attorney, uh, four times elected. One of the things about a prosecutor, a real prosecutor is once you've been a prosecutor, you never let go. Uh, it's, it gets in your blood. Um, it's about accountability. It's about truth. Uh, it's about justice. And in today's environment, um, it's, it's really tough to be a prosecutor or former prosecutor because the concepts of truth, justice um, are really, really, um, we're struggling with that right now because uh, absolute truth is, uh, is taking a slide. The concept of justice, um, it, it doesn't look like it used to look. And we have these things, uh, the, the so-called social justice that sneaks in. And, and I always ask the, myself the question, why do we have to qualify justice? Why do we have to have social justice? Justice is supposed to be justice. And so um, these are all the types of things that, that make someone who has uh, grown up in the traditional sense uh, really concerned and worried about what the future holds. Um, it's, uh, I, I, I've been around for a while and have seen some things. I've not seen a situation like we're in today uh, where we are perilously close to losing the freedoms that uh, so many before us had fought and given their lives for.
0: Well, that's a really interesting point and um, poignant and probably timely because we just got back from Sacramento, um, the Unity Project team, Dr. Aaron Cariotti, who I believe you know, he's our chief of medical ethics. He actually testified in this in front of the state Senate about AB. Uh, 2098, which is a bill that restricts, that will restrict any doctor from quote-unquote spreading, you know, mis- or disinformation about the vaccines or anything to do with the COVID narrative. And so it was interesting kind of listening to the line of questioning um, that was was happening in this hearing. And, you know, one of the, the points that was brought up was, well, how do you define misinformation? And really what it was distilled down into is, you know, if you may have a medical practitioner that believes that... Um, based on their patient's health history, that these vaccines uh, are not warranted. And in fact, it could have negative consequences for their patient. If they recommend against getting the vaccine in that case, they could have their license under review and their license revoked. And you know, that's, it's crazy, right?
1: It's absolutely ridiculous. This concept of disinformation, misinformation, again, uh, these are new words. Old words, but new context of words, misinformation, disinformation. And the question becomes, says who? Right. Um, when you're talking about medical procedures. You're talking about, if I go to my doctor and I have, a, I have an issue, um, unless my doctor is like really with it, uh, he or she's making guesses. They're, they're, That's they're, right. they're basing their estimates of what's going on based upon what I tell them and the, and the, and the evidence of what I'm mm-hmm. telling. Them. And they're coming up with opinions and they're coming up with thoughts on what to do. Same thing if you go to an auto mechanic. You go to an auto mechanic and your car's not working right, they look under the hood. Well, I think it's this, I think it's that, but it may not be this. And, and this idea that, oh, I, I thought it was the muffler, but it turned out to be the gasket. Well, is that misinformation? Is that intentionally misleading? This is this is crazy stuff. What's happening is, is you've got groups of people small mighty groups of people who have a little bit of power who want to control and manipulate the world around them. And so they get to choose, they get to pick and choose what's correct information and what's not correct information. And that's not what freedom is all about. That's, uh, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. When you think about the number of people in this country of 330 million people who are buying into this crap,
0: yeah. um,
1: the, 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 the idea that America is full of freedom loving people, uh, has gone out the window. I mean, about half of us are. And then there's another half of us that are like little sheep wagging their tails in the inquiry, the, in the um, letting anybody with a, a little teeny bit of authority tell them what to do.
0: Yeah, it's amazing to me, you know, uh, Dr. Cariati and I actually had this conversation as well about, you know, I was, I'm really surprised to learn how many people in this country are willing to comply. Um, it's, it, it never ceases to amaze me in this whole concept it started 2 years ago right this concept of you can no longer move about freely we're going to lock you down and then well, I,
1: it's well, I love, and, and it's and it's you know when you say that no longer compliance you know we're not talking about uh, re- rebelliousness or anarchy uh, right. it's it's amazing that people are are willing to comply where there's no information to suggest that they're that they're that they know what they're talking about Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that's the tricky thing someone taking a stab at the in the dark on what we ought to be doing and then we say oh okay it's it's sort of like i used to give this example when i was uh uh, doing work and um I, i used to give uh talks to grade school kids and i would say suppose you're on an airplane and the flight attendant comes back to the cabin and says our pilot has become incapacitated Does anybody know how to fly a plane? And everybody looks around the cabin and there's no takers. And so the flight attendant says, would anyone like to try? Um, That should be nerve wracking at that point for someone, (laughs) for somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, but that's what they're expecting us to do. They're expecting us to to just let somebody who doesn't know how to fly the plane, just to walk up, put their hands on the wheel and lead us and, and direct our lives. And so many people are willing to do that. I don't know about you, but as I would say to these kids in the example, look at this kid next to you. Do you really want to put your life in the hands of this kid? Or would you, <laughs> not knowing how to fly that plane, rather take your life into your own hands and have a shot at directing your own future?
0: That's right. Well, and I mean, you even have to distill that 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 um, analogy down further and say it seems even more ridiculous when, you know, um, we're not even in a crisis situation that would be uh, the same severity of being in a in an um, unpiloted plane. All of a sudden, you guys are plummeting to your death, right? In terms of scale of of, of epidemic, we are we are not seeing that this particular virus is um, wreaking havoc through the human population the way that the media and the CDC and the NIH would have you believe, and the World Health Organization, right? What we know two years later, kind of, we've done a, a little bit of a postmortem on this, and what we know is that there have been a tremendous amount of people that have been um, allowed to die because they were they were denied access to effective early treatment. Uh, we know that there were that are that children are not vectors of transmission. We know that the pediatric population is at statistically zero risk. We know that really anyone under the age of 75 that is relatively healthy, that doesn't have major comorbidities is relatively um, at extremely low risk, something like over 99% um, survival rate. And yet somehow people are just walking. It's like they're falling over one another to see how quickly they can comply and get in line for a vaccine or make sure that they're wearing their mask or staying locked down. And uh, what's fascinating is as, as uh, you know, as the course of these podcasts, I've had the opportunity to speak with a lot of people from varying backgrounds, whether it's from a political background or a social activist uh, background or grassroots or so on. And um, one of the things that I, I, I have asked is, in your opinion, what is the number one factor for why we are here, what has allowed us to get to this point um, in the country today, where we are today, right? Where we're, we've we're, we're through the lockdowns, but let's let's be clear. I'm quite confident that the lockdowns potentially would be on the horizon. So lockdowns and masking and censorship of what you're saying no longer can uh, doctors practice medicine. I mean, there's a whole gamut, right? So how do we get? to this point in this country, the United States of America.
1: I have one word for you for that answer, it's, and it's fear. Fear has put us in this place. If you go back to early 2020, when we first started hearing about what was happening in China, and then there was some trickle information about it tracking over here. I mean, we're, we're well into February 2020. We know this thing is out there, but nobody's really Overly concerned. I mean, it's 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 wow. We got to keep an eye on this thing. You move into March, uh the middle of March, just before the middle of March, there was nobody talking about shutting down governments. Nobody. Then within a matter of days, the first state goes down, and and then you see all of these governors just folding like a house of cards. Why did they do it? Not because of data, because they were afraid to stand alone, because the the guy next door did it, so we better do it too, so we don't. Right. by ourselves. So what started to happen was this unnatural fear, not a legitimate fear, but a manufactured fear based on, oh, we better do this because they're doing that. And then that, that, that manufactured fear sort of took over for a lot of people. You know, uh, in, in late March, early April, uh, there was a lot of information that we didn't know. So you can cut some slack to a lot of people for trying to be cautious, trying to be careful. I remember they were talking about, we're gonna close the schools for two weeks. And I thought, how do you close the school for two weeks? Uh, What are you gonna do? you are gonna close the school for two weeks and then you're gonna go back and some kid's gonna get COVID and you're gonna close it another two weeks. None of this made sense, but I always felt that Americans would do anything in a cooperative spirit for two or three weeks. You can shut down freedom for a couple of weeks for a good cause. But when it became four weeks and six weeks, and two months, right. and three months. Well, that's when you started getting people a little antsy because if you're gonna cut my freedom off, you better give me some really good information on why that's the case because right. I don't voluntarily consent to you taking the freedom. Well, it was based on the fear. And and what happened after that was the fear just ratcheted up um, and, and took over. So. All of a sudden, even though we understood that masks didn't work, we are told you better wear a mask. So things didn't make sense. But rather than use our brain and say, well, let's see, if Fauci told me this on Monday and he tells me the (laughs) exact opposite on Tuesday, one of those things can't be right. So his credibility is gone. Instead of people having that, that analysis, they would switch from what he said on Monday to what he said on Tuesday as if both were true.
0: Right, it's just this total and complete. Um, uh, I, I don't even know how to articulate it. Like, it, it, for sure, it's compliance, but it's just this like unquestionably, unquestioning, unquestioning um, dedication and and allegiance to whatever the government is telling you. And you know, it was interesting. I was talking to Nicole Pearson, who is an attorney here in California um, with Facts Truth Law and Justice. She's fighting LAUSD and some other entities, and she brought up the point, which I thought a really astute point, which is. Even from a colloquial standpoint, if you just look at the definition of a state of emergency, a hu- human beings—the fact that we're almost three years into this—you can't. No one can live in a state of emergency for that long of a period. So, just by colloquial standards and definitions of, of the term emergency, state of emergency, we actually are not in a state of emergency anymore. Because states of emergency, um, by by definition, would would be specific periods of time, um, you don't, you don't live in a state of emergency for the rest of your life, because if you do, then it's just, it just becomes a state of living, right?
1: Exactly, Exactly. you're, you're you're exactly on point. It's an acute event. It's, it's, it's an event that's uh, unknown, or um, there's, there's mystery about it. We have not been in, in a real state of emergency in the sense of having to do something probably since July or August of 2020 because by that time we had solid information as to who was most at risk. We had solid information who was at little risk. We had a, a we had a roadmap if we chose to use it on how to protect the vulnerable people and then how to let the rest of us go about keeping the economy and keeping America uh, moving forward. We chose not to, we chose this hide our head in the sand a fear, 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 let's not do anything approach and extending the emergency. Here in Indiana, our governor extended the 30 day emergency, I think 22 or 23 times. Now, now you would think that I lived in California. I live in Indiana, we're a red state, but it was ridiculous um, the extension of the emergency which kept power into the executive branch uh, to manipulate and, and manage the health affairs of the entire state. Um, it was not an emergency at that point. At that point, it was something that we had learned to or needed to learn to live with and adjust for. So during our emergency period, uh, we have a part-time session here in Indiana. So our, our legislature left in March of 2020 and about four or five days later, our governor uh, sh- uh, uh, shuts down the government, declares an emergency. Wow. The emergency existed all the way through 2020. Um, I remember writing a letter to the governor and to the Speaker of the House and the President Pro Tem and said, the emergency is over. I wrote this letter in July of 2020. The emergency is over. It is absolutely absurd to to have fully one third of our state government sitting on the sidelines, not engaged in coming up with solutions uh, for this pandemic. Call a special session, allow the legislative process to work, allow the Constitution to work, restore confidence in state government uh, by the people. Uh, and that was ignored. Uh, the General Assembly members didn't push it because quite frankly, they liked the idea of the governor being out on front so that if things got screwed up, they could point the finger and say, he did it, he did it. Right. And, and the governor just kept rolling right along and emergency, emergency, emergency. And what happened was the people started losing faith in our state government and rightfully so. Sure. So
0: from a technical or a semantical standpoint, how did we get to where we are right now in this country? Um, I know I've had a lot of people talk to me about the PrEP Act and so maybe what is the PrEP Act? And is that in fact the mechanism that was used to get us to where we are today as a country?
1: Well, the PrEP Act being uh, 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 a legal maneuver that allowed for uh, immunity for pharmaceutical companies. um, I I, I think that's uh, maybe a symptom of a bigger issue that we have in this country. Because um, uh, what I see as a bigger issue is the systemic loss of freedom that we can track back decades. Um, uh, You can go back, and I I take it back 60 years. Um, This is a march forward that can really be traced back to uh, the early 1960s. Um, uh, Lyndon Johnson and and, uh, the Great Society, big programs, welfare systems, Uh, the Voting Rights Act, Civil Rights Act, uh, and I'm not saying that that all of those were bad. I'm just pointing to the beginnings of what occurred here, because if if you look back into the the, uh, pre-civil rights uh, era, um, America needed to take action, needed to do something about the conditions of Blacks and women. Um, uh, Several of our southern states just wouldn't get along or play ball, and so most of us look back at Brown versus Board of Education and other legal uh, challenges and say, touche, that was, that was what was necessary. But with that increased uh, uh, activism of the courts back in the 1950s, uh, you had a continuation of that process moving forward as a matter of precedent. Um, so, you, so what we've seen is a growth of government and the more government you have, the more control you're giving up. And more control you're giving up, the less freedom you have. And this thing is a, a vicious cycle. So when we have uh, people talking today about uh, the horrors of CRT, critical uh, okay. well, they, they act as though that just started yesterday. Well, that process began 40, 50 years ago. Right. Uh, the, the, thanks to the pandemic, um, it's been illuminated to a lot of people. A lot of parents started to figure out what was going on in their public education system, because mm-hmm. the kids are at home, and they're looking at the they're looking at the kids' commu- computer screen and say, "What's this crap?" Right.
0: Yeah, they had a they had a bird's eye view into the yeah. classroom in a way that we've never had before.
1: We've never had that before, but it's been going on for years and years, and so it's a part of the problem that we have as Americans that we've we've allowed ourselves to trust our children to the hands of, of, of government people. Not everybody in government, not everybody in education is a problem for our kids. We, you and I both know teachers. Who are high quality teachers that teach Absolutely. classic education that's not the issue the, the more the, the greater issue is are more from an administrative standpoint when folks start trying to manipulate and manage how kids react to certain stimulus this social agenda when i send a kid to school i'm expecting that kid to learn how to read learn how to write and learn how to do math actually i should say have those skills enhanced because those are skills in my house that they learned before they went to school uh, and then, and that's ultimately the responsibility of parents to teach those things. But we, we're busy, we work, so we trust our education system to enhance and further that process along. Mm-hmm. Yet what we're getting these days is less and less reading, writing, and arithmetic and more, well, here's how you ought to think about that. And here's what you need to think about this. Right. Completely out of line for uh, teachers and school systems to be uh, um, uh, putting their own thoughts uh, of, of what's appropriate for a kid to know or learn. Um, as I say, this has been going on for decades.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. So so I just um, was, was speaking with a gentleman that um, put together a documentary series called Red, White, and Blueprint. And we were talking about the fact that, you know, gone are the days where children uh, were taught about civics and government. And, you know, I was saying, I remember for me personally, I would... You know, uh, we have Saturday morning schoolhouse rock. We would, you know, you have the little, the little uh, animated bill coming down the, the steps of the state
1: capitol Just a bill, well, oh, I'm a bill, and if you vote for me on Capitol Hill, well, then I'm off to the White House for the president to sign. And if he signs me, then I'll be a law. How I hope and pray that I but today I am still just a bill.
0: I love it. Oh, my God. I think we might have to have you do some type of uh, intro for the podcast, <laughs> sing, the singing intro. But even you remember this, right? We all remember. And this is how we grew up. Um, but today, there's no mention of this. There's no civics courses. There's no um, training of or understanding about, about the country and, and and really the responsibilities of being a good Citizen in this country, and the, and and how important it is that we understand um, our government and the procedures and the processes. Um, there's none of that today, and it's. It, it, I think to your point, this is potentially how we've gotten to where we are with such lack of transparency, um, conflicts of interest at all levels of the government, and people just have they, they've turned a blind eye to what's happening.
1: Yeah, right. It, it's that's exactly right. We, we've We've got no standards. Um, uh, I mean, this is a fantastic country, warts and all. Uh, you look at our country, and you can compare it to any nation or, uh, any nation around the earth. Uh, increase our troubles three times, and we are still better than any country on earth in terms of what we offer. I remember years ago, I was on a trip to uh, uh, Mexico, and I was at a, a relatively nice resort. And, uh, didn't lack for anything, but you weren't supposed to drink the water right. in Mexico. So I can remember, I, and, and you know how it is, when you're not supposed to do something, that's what you, that's all you wanna do. I wasn't a big water drinker back in those days, but I'm sitting there at breakfast. I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm sitting there at breakfast. I wanted a glass of water so badly. And I couldn't, get the water. And I remember thinking what I wouldn't do to have a, a drink of water from the dirtiest filling station on US 31 back in Indiana. Uh, I mean, because the dirtiest filling station on a highway in Indiana was going to give me better, cleaner water than almost any place in the world.
0: Well, one of the things that I think about with regard to that is, you know, I go to another country and find yourself on the um, wrong end of whatever laws they have in those countries. Yeah. And you will quickly learn that there are no such thing as the Miranda rights. There are no such thing as um, notification um, and a, a quick adjudication and of... of what they're charging you with. There's no, um, in and in, in, it's even countries that people don't realize. And these are mainstream Western countries. Um, and so I think that's been one of the most disheartening things for me as, as we go through this process of what we've gone through over the last um, almost three years now with regard to this pandemic is just the, the abuse and the violation of the um, judicial system right? So um, the total violation, I mean, locking people down um, without due process, uh, you know, taking away people's rights to breathe freely because they must wear a mask at all times. Um, Now, you know, in California, we have some of the most unbelievable legislative actions that are happening. We have bills that range from Saying that children as young as twelve years old can consent to medical procedures without the um, knowledge or consent of their parents, uh, as we discussed, we have a bill right now that says uh, doctors will be could lose their license if they essentially engage in the practice of medicine. So that's encroaching on free speech and and the doctor parent uh, excuse me doctor patient relationship. Uh, there are I mean there are bills that are stating that children cannot attend school whether it's public or private. Um, unless they're vaccinated. And and I I sit down and I look at all this and I say, this is just an absolute assault on the legal system. And so, I mean, you must have a completely unique perspective given your background, especially given your background, not only as as, as a legal professional, but as a former attorney general about what's happening and how we're getting to this point um, in these states and, and at a national level.
1: Decisions are no longer are no longer being made based upon evidence, upon the fact finding. They're being made based on uh, public relations. Uh, they're being based on fear. They're being based on manipulations. That's what's really disheartening about the justice system. Um, I, you know, I grew up in the justice system. I was a principal in the justice system. I was very proud of the positions that I that I took and held because, in my view, um, uh, we. We did our level best to hand out metered justice uh, based upon what occurred, not because of who you were. And what I'm seeing now is a reflection of the training in law schools over the last uh, 20, 30 years. Um, I got out in time where, where we had <laughs> solid training, but, but you've got people who are trained completely differently than, than what I was. And so uh, the rules of evidence are not what matters. Uh, so often it's a matter of how it looks. And, and, and that standard has sort of uh, creeped over into um, uh, our everyday lives. I mean, the, the, the three most dangerous words in America right now are three words that you wouldn't typically think of. And they're three words that actually aren't dangerous words in and of themselves. It's just the context in which they're being used now makes them extraordinarily dangerous as an assault on freedom. And uh, uh, that's inclusive, inclusion, diversity, and equity. Uh, when we start talking about inclusion, what does inclusion mean, Laurel? Inclusion means uh, uh, allow. Uh, we're going to let something. So, so you're you're going to allow me to do something. You got the power to allow me to do something. You have got the power to allow me not to. And do we really want the standard for our children to be? Um, well, uh, we're going to let we're going to let little Bobby in this because we need to include him. Or how about? Uh, Bobby's going to do this because he's the best one for the job. So what we've done is we've we've replaced excellence Mm -hmm. with inclusion. We've treated life life is like a a big game of T-ball where everybody gets a bat and nobody gets an out. Uh, The reality of the life that we have as Americans is sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It's how you play the game and you want to swing, take your swings. And if you get a hit, you get a hit. If you go down, you go down. But you went down swinging. I mean, there's a there's a there's an American thing about how we sure. operate that's that's missing in our justice system and missing in our everyday lives. And we're masking it with this concept of of compassion. And we want to be compassionate. We want to make sure everybody gets a turn. If 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 everybody gets a turn, that might be fine if the if the objective is everybody gets to play. But if you want to win, you got to put your best players on the field. Mm-hmm. And That's what we're missing in corporate America today, because of those three words that are being misapplied, misused. And if you stand up and and speak the truth, Laura, that's when you start getting canceled. And this this is the overarching problem that that whether it's through the pandemic or whether it's through anything else that's going on right now, this thing is growing. This this sort of Gestapo treatment of people, of uh, you know, we have ways of making you talk, is is uh, (laughs) and it's scaring the hell out of a lot of people. Now, oh, yeah. it's also it's also inspiring and motivating a hell of a lot of people to take action. People who were, were on the sidelines just a few years ago, or uh, living a pretty happy, sassy life in corporate in corporate America, uh, are are saying, "Whoa, uh, I better get involved in this thing and, and help save this country." And thank God for those people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's again, as I look at what's happened over the course of the last two years, it's been astonishing. Um, it's astonishing to me that you have legal proceedings. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about all the time with regard to California. So, in California, it's kind of become a known fact now that you cannot get exceptions. So I personally don't think that exceptions are exemptions, exemptions, <laughs> exemptions, excuse me, it's a tongue twister. Um, should even be a factor because I don't believe that you should be forced to vaccinate your children with something that's, that's still experimental. And, and I always say, look, you can't even go to the grocery store right now without knowing the ingredient. If you want to buy a box of cereal, then you have a list of the ingredients. We don't know what's in these vaccines. So I don't know that the concept of even offering exemptions should be on the table. That being said, right now, there are thousands of Uh, personal belief and religious exemptions that are being denied um, as a result of, uh, you know, living in the state of California. And my question is just, again, from a legal perspective, it's so clear to me that these judges are not, um, they're not upholding the law um, as in a constitutional way. It seems to me that these judges are looking at these scenarios and overlaying uh, personal agendas or personal beliefs, uh, political beliefs or, or, or something of the, you know, alike?
1: Well, you know, when you've got people who don't have a, a basis in faith, uh, strong or otherwise, it, it, it perhaps is difficult for them to understand the importance of faith to others. And America is becoming more secular. Thank goodness we're not as bad as Europe, but there are a great deal of people in this country who are anti-faith, uh, anti-religion, and it shows up everywhere. And there's a concerted effort to, uh, to ferret out religious morality out of our everyday lives. Yeah. Um, uh, particularly when we start talking about uh, gender issues and, and, and things of that nature, uh, we're not even supposed to give consideration to those things. So it's, it's no surprise that, uh, that we have courts, uh, again, these are judges who were lawyers yesterday and law students a few days before that, that were trained differently than lawyers used to be, and so they're 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 looking at a social basis. You know, it, it's like this ESG stuff that's going on now. The uh, um, uh, requirements for uh, investments that you have to uh, uh, pass a, a grade for having uh, environmental and social and governance uh, uh, going in the right direction. Um, that's that's utterly ridiculous. There's there's it, it, there should be no basis for uh, evaluating an investment based on what that investment's doing for um, uh, the, the environment or uh, governance structure or, or where they are on their social agenda. That's that's putting a political requirement in an area that, that's not necessary. In fact, I think it's even a breach of the law because uh, financial advisors have a fiduciary responsibility to... Encourage investments based on rate of return, not based on what you've done for uh, the environment. Right. Um, but that, but that's philanthropic politi- work. Politi- exactly. That's the politically correct world that continues to just grow and grow and grow. And these folks think that because they're right, it's okay. But that gets back to the point of who decides that they're right. And that's the whole. That you know that's that's where you lose your freedom when you've got. A a number of people who choose to uh, to manipulate the process and suggest that they're in charge.
0: Yeah, and it sure seems like um, in the state of California, there is a lot of manipulation going on. A lot of you know, kind of opaque veil of secrecy that that we're all unfortunately being subjected to. And um, how do you how do you how do do you deal in a system where you've got a legislative process that's not transparent, um, a legislative process that is uh, clearly not hearing, let alone representing the best interest of the constituents. And then you overlay that with a judicial process that is um, it's, it's it's wrought with roadblocks, as well as um, just not adhering to the law and adhering to personal um, agendas and personal beliefs, right? I, I, I asked that because I, I look at what's happening again, right here. I, and we're talking a lot about California, but, but frankly, this happens across every state. Um, California just happens to be, it feels like, um, the tip of the spear, right? Where as as California goes, eventually the rest of, of the country seems to go.
1: Oh, the rest of the weirdos go. Well, California goes, you <laughs> can't say that, that California is leading the good people. Now, it, it's it's a wacky process. I mean, the the, the the first answer to your question is we have to stand up and fight back. We have to continue that. We we can't lay down and 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 give up. What we're after in this battle. You've got, you've got the left and you've got the right, um, but the sweet spot is that big fat middle. Those folks who are in between who can still be persuaded. Some people on the extreme left, some people on the extreme right, they're gonna stay where they are. So that's not where the battle is. But for those folks in the middle, they're looking for people that are reasonable. So the thing that we have going for us, Laura, is that the left is utterly unreasonable right now. They're doing stupid stuff. They're not going in increments and, and slowly bringing the middle along, they're, they're, they're going like Pac-Man, chump, 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 chump. They're taking sure. huge bites at a time and they've got the middle saying, whoa, is is that the direction we should be going? I'll give you an example. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are very compassionate about the transgender issue. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, very, very, uh, very accommodating. In, they're okay with the pronouns, the whole nine yards. But a lot of those people took a step back when uh, uh, Leah Thomas, uh, the uh, former man, right. uh, gets into a, gets into a swim race with biological females, and you know he's ranked 400 or 500th as a man, he gets into the women's race and he's number one in the world. That didn't set well with a lot of people. That didn't set well with people who think like you and I. But that didn't set well with a lot of people who don't think like you and I, because there are limits to what you can do with this thing. What some people need are good examples of why is it that it makes a difference that you're a man or a woman. There's, there's, a, yeah. there's a reason behind this. And for these folks who, these folks who say, well, you know, uh, Curtis, you're just not compassionate because if, if, if a person wants to be a woman, what's that matter to you? Well, here's the thing. The bottom line is because they're not it's that's it's it's not a matter of what i think it's it's a truth thing it's it's if if i tell you uh i i want to be chinese if i tell you right now i'm chinese well laura you can say that's great Curtis, you can be chinese all you want but i'm not and and when we start getting into these these uh th- these moral uh fuzzies um we start to lose our way um, i'd like to see right. us live in a society where we have no hyphens where we're no longer black americans asian americans but the left won't allow that to happen because they have to categorize people so that they can uh, uh, work their constituents. Because if, if, you, if you look at who the left supports, the left, well, the poor, uh, the blacks, uh, the oppressed. Well, if, if those are the people that you're representing and you somehow screw up and let those people no longer be oppressed and they start to work their way out of poverty, well, guess what's gonna happen? they're no longer your constituents. So there has to be a a concerted effort to keep people within the corral, keep people agitated, keep people thinking that we have racial animus, people thinking that there's problems that that only can be solved by big government and and white liberals.
0: Well, and I think you touched on something that's that's really um, important, which is, that we have all of a sudden found ourselves living in an environment where it's 100% based, it feels like at least it's 100% based on feelings and not reality. And I think we've seen the ramifications of living in an environment based on feelings versus reality. And you can apply that very quickly to the pandemic and the fact that people have lived in a contrived state of fear for the last two and a half years versus actually operating in reality. I mean, there's, there's, there's a there's some of us, not all of us, but some of us have have continued to operate in reality. And um, we're, I feel like we are the ones that are stepping back for a second and saying, well, wait a minute, we need to stop operating in fear and look at reality. Look at the fact again, that these, the vaccines have known dangers. Look at the fact that um, the pediatric population is not at risk. Look at, you know, look at all of the facts that that we continue to cite. um, But yet the other um, segment of the population that that is living in this feeling of contrived fear, it has gripped them to the point that um, they're they're not able to function, right? When you see people that are driving down the street in a car by themselves with the windows rolled up and they're wearing two masks, that is a person that is not functioning productively uh, and certainly, productively in society, I would even say, productively in their own lives and in their own mind.
1: Well, we had uh, during the during the early stages of the pandemic, uh, the grocery stores got into it. They all put up plexiglass, and they had to wear you know, we had to wear masks. And then they actually put in arrows so that you could go up this aisle, but down the next aisle, so they could limit the number of participants in an aisle. And I can remember being in a grocery store, and I'm walking down an aisle. And someone looks up, and they look at me like, like, like I'm, and they start to pull away, and they're all <laughs> nervous. It, that that kind of craziness, just right <laughs> to, you saw this maddening panic, yeah. and you wondered how could people panic? And and the thing is, it, it, it you know, if we had a, a disease that, and I, and I, and I don't want to say it wasn't serious. It was very serious. Uh, there's no question about that, but it wasn't. What they what they claimed it was. I, I remember in the early days, it might have been in January 2020, February 2020. They showed a news report of some some dude in China that that had a mask on and he fell out in the street and died. And so <laughs> I remember was that. Some, there were some thoughts like, "Oh my gosh, uh, this is what's going to happen over here. People are going to be walking down the street and then just like and die." Well, that's not what happened at all. Of course but, not. But that fear. That fear was out there. And, and, and so could there be a circumstance where an emergency exists that requires some drastic action? Of, of course there could be. Sure, um, sure. Uh, and we have to measure that as best we can. We have, to be, we have to be forgiving to people who are honestly trying to ferret out what those di- differences are. But in this particular instance, we got down a particular path. It was like a snowball going down a hill. We got down a particular path and there was no turning back for these people, no matter what. Even as information was becoming more and more clear on what this was all about and how we could deal with it, it it, it just rolled along. And here's what's, uh, what's fascinating. A lot of people or well, a lot of government still wants to keep this up. They're still after it. But a lot of people have said, screw this, we're, well, we're done with it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, look at the state of California, the governor just, um, extended the state of emergency again. It's so evident that we are not in a state of emergency. Um, and yet, you know, we continue through the theatrics of it all, um, that, that we're still in the state of emergency. And, but I agree. I do think that there are people now that are saying, okay, enough is enough. We've, we've, we've had enough, we've had, you know, uh, this all these lockdowns all these masking requirements all these vaccine requirements um, and i think in particular there are a lot of people that have been vaccinated and boosted um, that are continuing to get covid and they're saying well wait a minute um i, I they're they're now starting to question maybe oh. more than they would have
1: that was a boom right? i mean i mean the concept of vaccination um is you you get vaccinated you don't get something so, right. and that's how they build it. Now they, they build it kind of cleverly because you know, they've always got the fine print and, and, the, and the backups say, well, you still could get breakthrough cases. But the bottom line is most people who got vaccinated uh, wow. did so in order to not catch the virus. Um, and, and the implication, if not the expression was that if you get vaccinated, you won't catch this thing. Uh, and then they mellowed, they mellowed that out a little bit and said, well, uh, it won't be as bad and it will reduce hospitalization. Right. There was always these qualifiers. Well,
0: they but changed the, the definition, line, right, of what a vaccine, vaccine is.
1: That's it. That's it. It's, it's, you know, now it's just something to reduce your harms. I mean, it's, and, and, and that gets to one of the, I'm glad you mentioned that, because the, 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 the changing the rules in the middle of the game has become the norm. Changing yeah. definitions across the board, uh, what something used to mean no longer means that, and then we've got to adjust on the fly, and that's the way that the left continues to manipulate, maneuver through this process. Um, and and it's the what they're after. They're after the complete capitulation of the American way of life. Sure. Uh, now I don't know if they've got something better up their sleeves, at least if they think they do. But um,
0: well, lockdowns certainly don't seem like it's better.
1: <laughs> well, if you look at it, you know from from my standpoint, I think um one of the worst things that that can happen um or, or one of the worst things that happens in this country that's a predictor of a lot of bad things are uh boys in particular growing up with no fathers in the home I would agree. that's a reflection of uh the uh, loss of marriage as an institution um and and the fact that people no longer feel uh that the nuclear family is this strong option now there are other options of, of raising a family i don't want to suggest that there are not but uh in terms of having the best opportunity of having kids that don't go to prison that are getting education that are being productive and that are growing and going out and getting their own family and having stable lives is a kid growing up in a stable environment with a mother and a father
0: absolutely
1: the best predictor is a kid growing up with a mom and dad we should be promoting family marriage tradition the types of things to keep people out of prison no we have kids especially in the black community we have kids uh uh, 72 i think of kids being born have no fathers in the home right that that's a direct correlation to the disproportionate number of blacks in prison sure um and 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 so we we can see these answers that are there but we refuse to actually address what we need to be addressing um, Uh, which is how do we get people to, uh, or should we get people encouraged to start a family, to maintain a family, to get a home with a picket fence, to live the American dream?
0: Sure. Well, and I think that uh, the reality is that I think this is all by design, right? Um, The government cannot step into the, and um, insert, uh, policies and procedures and agendas and ideologies uh, into the nuclear family, right? When you have a really solid nuclear family, um, the government then it, it's a much harder um, process for them to, to uh, infiltrate and to, you know, again, it's assert their agendas. And again, we're seeing this, right? It's, it's a classic example. SB 866 in the state of California states that if you are 12 years old, and I I believe they're modifying it to say 15, but right now I believe it still stands at 12 years old. So if you're 12 years old, you can um, engage in a medical decision without the knowledge or consent of your parents. There's another bill that's uh, presented right now as well that will allow you to have your records sealed at 12 years old. You can decide to have your records sealed so your parents never know. Uh, I mean, look at that, that to me as a direct violation of the government interfering in parental rights, um, inserting themselves in the nuclear family. And I think it's all by design.
1: It is, I mean, I don't even know how you can logically argue and support uh, giving a, a child a minor any kind of independent rights over their parents. The 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 even if you have a child who is being abused by the parents, there's a process for removal of the parents in the foster care system. That's not what this is. This allows parents to still ostensibly be in control of their children, but not be in control of their children. Right. You know that uh, we had a we had some debates here in Indiana where I was uh, I was talking about how. Uh, you, you 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 needed a, a parental permission to get a tattoo, but you didn't need parental permission to get an abortion. Right. Uh, that that's crazy. Um, and then you say to the and you say, well, who's paying for it? Well, I guess Uncle Sam's paying for it because they pay for everything else. It's 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 really ridiculous. But that's what's happening, it, and it's tearing away at, the, at. Think about that. If you're a 12 year old kid or 14 year old kid, and you are empowered that you don't have to listen to mom and dad when it comes to a medical procedure. What do you have to listen to mom and dad about at all? If if that's the case, Um, it makes zero sense. Um, And I I think there are people, I think there's two camps here, at least two camps, but two basic camps. There are people who by design are, are after this result that they're manipulating the system, the process. And then the other camp are dupes, idiots. Uh, people who just don't have the common sense that you would give to an ant to understand what's going on around them. And, 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 and so not everybody, not everybody is trying to make this happen. There are some evil people who are trying to make this happen. But the other people are just stupid because it is stupid. I'll tell anybody this. It's stupid to give a 12-year-old any kind of independent responsibility over their own medical decisions. Absolutely. Well,
0: look, at 12 years old, you know, you do not have the ability to make and engage in those kinds of decisions. I mean, quite honestly, there's not an adult in this world that can make and engage in a decision about the COVID 19 vaccine because none of us are operating under informed consent. So, um, as as an adult citizen in the United States, there's no way for me to even say whether or not I believe that this is, is, is something that is good. I cannot find frankly, a medical practitioner that is actually being truthful that in good conscience, in my opinion, can recommend the COVID-19 vaccine. Because in order to do that, you have to understand uh, the vaccine. You have to understand what's contained in the vaccine. You have to have understood what the clinical trials yielded and many other factors. And there are very few people in this world that can actually say, uh, outside of maybe a few pharmaceutical executives that have the true um, ingredients of these vaccines that can say, I think, truly recommend uh, this vaccine in a positive way. Now, I think there's a tremendous amount of evidence in, um, based on the VAERS data, based on uh, the Pfizer documents, the Moderna documents, the clinical trial uh, doc- documents that are coming out that actually prove that there are a tremendous amount of negative consequences for these vaccines. Um, yeah, so,
1: but, but doctors typically, doctors doc. They 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 deal with patients. It's a kind of a one on one thing, and they get their information. They 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 have to rely on others that are doing the science. I mean, how many of our how many of our local hands on practitioners have the time or take the time to break down all of this information? Now they're going to have to start because the reliability uh, has gone down the tubes. Uh, when when you see some of the misinformation, there's that word again, some of the misinformation <laughs> coming from the CDC and others in government, doctors have no choice. And doctors, I, I have seen where doctors have had to manipulate uh, their own systems to be able to properly care for their patients. So this process interferes with the Hippocratic Oath that doctors are, 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 are sworn to adhere to sure. uh, by requiring them to take uh, crazy measures to get around. They care for their patients,
0: right? And and of course, we know that one of the biggest tenets of the Hippocratic oath is to first do no further harm. Uh, and it seems like with with this particular uh, situation, with re- as it relates to COVID and the care of COVID, whether it's the um, the interference of allowing early effective treatment um, or um, you know protocols that, as we now know, were not only ineffective but were leading to the death. Of a lot of people by putting them on a ventilator, putting them on remdesivir, all the way to what we're seeing now with regard to, uh, you know, muffling and handcuffing doctors so that they cannot practice medicine and only follow the narrative, even though they're starting to. I think we're seeing a lot of medical professionals that are um, recognizing the dangers of what and of what's happened as it relates to COVID nineteen and our and our response to it.
1: And wasn't it interesting to watch these folks fight like hell to keep uh, ivermectin out of the hands mm-hmm. of and to it create disinformation about what ivermectin was? I mean, we had people uh, uh, saying, "I'm not going to take horse medicine," intentionally misleading people to uh, to misunderstand, if that's a word, uh, <laughs> what ivermectin was all about, and yet. Uh, here's uh, here's a drug that's effective for other things. There's trials that would suggest that uh, it be helpful in early treatment. And there was such an effort that that was one of the things that got me uh, first alarmed about what was going on. I mean, the mask stuff that Fauci came up with, the the back and forth, that was kind of small potatoes to me. I thought that was silly. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And he clearly didn't know what he was talking about. But when they started getting to the point where they worked so hard to put ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine in a box. I knew something was up at that point because that, that there was that just was so unnecessary. Why, why wouldn't you do it? And then you look at other countries, I think it was, I think it was India that had India, yeah,
0: Brazil. Yep. yep.
1: Yeah, they had these huge outbreaks. I mean, to the and and you know, and we think of India, maybe rightfully so, as more third world. So you get you get something nasty in a country like that and you're gonna have some serious problems because they That's don't right. have a, the types of healthcare systems that we have. And then all of a sudden, boom, stop. You don't hear anything about it. all of a sudden this thing stopped almost in its tracks. And you're like, what happened? Oh, we gave out ivermectin. And, right, yeah. and then, oh, wow. Are we doing that over here? Oh, ivermectin is dangerous. I mean, you hear and you're, 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 you're going crazy. You're like, how can you look at the evidence of what's going on in India? how they dealt with it, and then ignore it in the rest of the world.
0: Well, and a little known and discussed fact is also very early on um, in the COVID battle here in the United States, there were a lot of medical practitioners that were actually in hospital institutions that were actually starting to use these early effective treatments and doing it very successfully. Uh, And then, of course, the government came in and shut it all down. So it's been... um, it's been an interesting journey to see the human psychology, I think, as well, behind it and how people are um, ingesting this information, the willingness and the critical thinking or lack thereof in certain cases. Um, so I will I'm continuing to be curious as to how this is all going to evolve. I think I, you know, um, I think we're on the, the precipice of of either the country really regaining our freedoms and regaining our strength or sadly going, going in a terminal decline state. Um, obviously, I, I, I hope it's the former rather than the latter because there's so much at stake here.
1: I think it's, um, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. The question is, will it get better? But, but if, it, if it is to get better, I don't think we've turned the corner yet. Uh, we still have a critical number <laughs> of people who are playing the politically correct game and don't have the courage to to venture into truth land. Uh, That's what it's gonna take. It's gonna take um, courageous people to stand up, stand the gap and then lock arms and grow grow that strength. And uh, we're gonna be looking for, there's gonna be particular issues that help us break out, uh, particular absurdities. As I say, the left reaches really, really crazily at times. And if they overreach, that's the time to get them and um, bring things back to reality.
0: Well, no doubt. I think they've overreached as it relates to um, trying to mass vaccinate children. I think that they have galvanized parents across the country uh, in a way that they certainly did not expect.
1: They didn't have to do that either. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's, the, the, it, it's almost as though, um, you know, it, it's the, the manipulation moves beyond intimidation and into uh, uh domination we're going to make you do something we're going to make force you to do this and and just because we can because there's absolutely no data that suggests that these kids are in imminent danger and and if the standard if the standard that we're going towards in medical care for children is that we don't want them to get something well we're in for a world of hurt because kids get sick all the time um, uh we don't want them to we don't want them to be dangerously exposed to death um, well
0: and look, look I always say if this was something like the black plague um, or Ebola or something that that's you know representative of something you know, the black P- plague and I think what was it one third of, of the European continent was wiped out yeah, you, um, you
1: got that you got that and you dropped it
0: right so I mean uh, quite honestly, I think you would be seeing parents lining up in drugs, fighting to get access to some, some type of medication or pharmaceutical intervention.
1: Well, provided, it, that, provided that, that parents would be convinced that it wasn't a placebo of some sort. I mean, I think sure. one of the problems that we have now is there's, there's become an increasing level of mistrust on the part of many people and the FDA and CDC and the whatnot in terms of well, can you protect us any longer?
0: It's a lack of. It's because it's a lack of transparency. It's inconsistency, um, massive conflicts of interest. If you look at the heads of these three-letter acronyms for for what represents the the medical institutions for the government, they're not really medical institutions, but regulatory bodies as it relates to the medical uh, fields. So CDC NIH and so on. I mean, if you look at them, they're for they're all former pharmaceutical executives. There's just there's just a tremendous amount of mistrust because of the, again, lack of transparency, tremendous amounts of conflict of interest. And until we can clear that up, I think um, that, that distrust is going to grow. And in some senses, I think it's a good thing that, that we're starting to see people developing a healthy distrust um, because that is a check and balance. Um, and hopefully in a future stage, once we get through this, we'll prevent the government from uh, encroaching on our freedoms uh, in a way that, that they did with this particular pandemic.
1: Well, you know, what they try to do is, they, they try to categorize uh, many people as whack jobs. And, and and I've been guilty of that, you know, conspiracy, you know, you think, oh, these are just some weirdos who are into some conspiracy, it's unfounded. Um, but what's happening is you see more and more people who would not otherwise uh, be so dis- mistrusting say, I got to look at this a little differently, um, and and that's what we needed. We needed we needed that dose. We, we don't need wackos. We don't need people who are unreasonable or who come up with crazy theories that have no basis. I'm not talking about that. Here in this pandemic, this uh, this pandemic era, there are plenty of of uh, indicia's of of uh, illegitimacy of information that we can look upon and say this was a problem. There's plenty of it. And I think it's healthy that we have lots of people scrutinizing um, the, our federal government, scrutinizing our pharmaceutical companies, questioning what their motivations are. Um, there's a huge, huge motivation of money. I mean, you always got to follow the money. Um, uh, so there's, there's, I think it's it's healthy for that, and, and not only healthy in this in the sense of, of the pandemic, but it's also ha- healthy to have that that skepticism. For what's going on with government censorship, that skepticism for what's being told to us about I'm racism sure. and uh, all of these things that are designed to upset our American uh, system, we have to we we have to stand up and fight against those uh, those encroachments.
0: We couldn't agree more. So Curtis Hill, it has been an absolute honor and pleasure speaking with you. It's always fun. I enjoy our conversations. Uh, what's next for you? Any anything that you that you want to share uh, that you that you have on the horizon?
1: Sure, um, I'm doing I'm uh, doing some speaking. I'm I'm doing a, a senior fellowship at the Center for Urban Renewal and Education in Washington D.C. Uh, that's an organization that was founded by Star Parker that does great work in the area of uh, of uh, uh, poverty and and uh, uh, enhancing the lives of uh, uh, communities. Um, I'm uh, uh, considering, uh, uh, considering some political endeavors. Um, Excellent. I think that uh, I think that the world that we're in right now is in need of, of uh, the type of leadership that's authentic and truthful. Um, I think we need people who can offer solutions, not just burn the house down rhetoric, but yeah. ideas on what it's going to take to ultimately bring the right and the left together. Um, mm-hmm. that would be important to you because of the organization that you represent, Unity. Right. We yeah. absolutely need to find ways to bring things together. We fight like the Dickens right now to support the interests that we support, but ultimately, we want to unify this nation. We want okay. to be the strongest nation on earth because the reality is this world is going to need America to save it. And if America is not healthy enough to step in and save the world, the world goes to hell in a the handbasket. There is no absolutely. world without me. Absolutely.
0: uh, It was the of the American spirit that helped, I think, in World War II, And I think we all saw how that ended. Um, And I know you are going to be joining us at Freedom Fest, uh, July 13th, the 16th in Las Vegas. So we're so excited to have you there. And um, again, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really great conversation. Eye-opening for me. I always learn a lot whenever we, we get the chance to chat. So thank you, thank you appreciate- Curtis. Everyone, you. everyone uh, keep following what Curtis Hill is doing. This guy is an absolute warrior in this fight. And I know uh, will be one of the, the folks that helped save this country and, and get us on the right track again. So, so thank you so much, Curtis. Thank you. From all of us at The Unity Project, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope to continue producing content that amplifies voices, strategies, and resources. Please keep in mind that the Unity Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies on the contributions of our generous supporters to fuel the work we do in this movement. If you value our efforts, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution today by visiting our website at www.unityproject.com and clicking the donate button. We very much appreciate your continued support and confidence, without which our work wouldn't be possible.